disastrous accident he drove off images assailing him an axe wound draining life's blood or the body of jim twisted under a fallen trunk no nothing could possibly have gone wrong with his youngest son he was just working late clearing a pasture jim would inherit the farm no doubt about that james had originally expected it to go to his first son john but one day ten years ago john had complained of a sore throat not in itself worrying he was a healthy young man in his late twenties married with three children he'd been helping his father haul in the last of the oats only catherine had interpreted the dreaded signs for soon with a rising fever John had declared he was having trouble swallowing. Diphtheria, the kiss of death. Perhaps with his Micmac blood from Magues, the hidden first wife of James, he'd not developed the means to avoid white settlers' diseases. Catherine remained with him night and day. James kept hovering near, but soon it became too much. He prayed in the barn, on the cliffs, at his harrow turning up the rich earth, out loud and in silence, everywhere, over and over. But slowly it was harder for John to swallow, and then one morning he cried out, I can't breathe, Lord help me, I can't breathe. Mercifully, the end came soon. They had laid John to rest up in Paspabiac, the nearest churchyard, and marked the grave with a wooden cross, which even now was beginning to rot under the savagery of the seasons. The rest of James' offspring, save for Hannah, were all married and scattered up and down the coast. All had their own farms, so young Jim, at nineteen, was the only one left to inherit and farm the old homestead. And now this last-born son was late for his supper, so very unusual. Would he, too, be snatched by that familiar figure in a dark cloak who carried such an impartial scythe to cut down no matter whom, babies, the aged, and worst of all, young men in their prime? James quickened his pace. A shout made him raise his eyes. On the next rise, four dark, misshapen creatures with hunched backs came at him, silhouetted against the brooding sky. His pace faltered. His eyes were not what they were. Carrying great sacks on their backs, the brave buyer's boys loomed into his vision, following their father, Thomas. "'Oh, Papa, look!' Bobby, the youngest of the rascals, came running up to his grandfather with a sack bobbing on his back. "'Just look at all this here birch bark we got!' He'd always been a lively child. "'Hello there, Mr. Alford,' James Byer said. In a land that honoured older folk, even in-laws called seniors by their surnames, farmers all, they possessed that old-world courtesy instilled by frequent Bible readings.' This bark is for young John here. Mariah said we better honor her brother's memory and keep it in shape for the little fella. 
Grandson John frowned. He didn't like, at fourteen, to be called a little fella. Dark features and shiny black hair inherited from his grandmother, Magues, made him extremely handsome, but he was short for his age. When his father had died, his mother, Mary, after five years of bringing up her children alone, had married and gone to live in Gascon with her new husband, Anaye, leaving John behind with the buyers beside his own strip of land. Good for her, but still an old kind of late for barking, no? Well, to tell the truth, Thomas went on, as soon as it started to cool down this autumn, Mariah, she kept at us. I got no time for installation, I told her, but she said, well, you got time tonight. No dinner till you's come back with a load of birch bark. Ha, <laughs> she's a tough one, that.